Um, I've heard some things about it. Hmm? I've heard about a scene with a character and what happens in that. Well, that's pretty vague. <laughs> so when he first entered the loop and such, and after you know whatever he goes under, he was going to yell through the wall and hit books so that they. <laughs> no, but Sorry. I thought they were somehow going to. <laughs> the discovery is love. <laughs> well, speaking of Interstellar, that was that funny? But... I thought that was pretty good, which is a Marvel film. Yay! Is that what it's called? A Marvel <laughs> film? Yay! Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the new Netflix film, which is The Discovery, starring Jason Siegel, Rooney Mara, and Robert Redford. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Teekman. Hey there again, everybody, and welcome back into Film Tank. This is episode 110, and I am Alex Diekman. Uh, today, we'll be talking about the Netflix film entitled The Discovery. Uh, I didn't realize it was a Netflix film. I just thought it was like a new Netflix feature. Uh, just a Netflix acquired film directed by who? You know, Nick? like the Dis- Discovery, like you know, their search or like Discovery. Or... Who? Nick Cheney here. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and also Tucson Egan with us as well. Alex, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to talk about this film. What uh, impression were you doing there? Is that supposed to be your Robert Redford? I'm really not going to tell you. I'm really not going to tell you. That's supposed to be Robert Redford? No, it's not. Oh, no, it's not. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes, I can't. Cool. I can't replicate his 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 sort of not. whiskey his whiskey drenched voice. Well, now that you say it, I mean it's a little not as terrible oh, as I originally yeah. thought, yeah. but it, you know it was... it's just kind of hard. It's very strained. It's hard to do yeah. that. Well, he is like eighty something. I know. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. There you go. You know what they call him? They call him boss. <laughs> they call him boss. <laughs> if you did not watch the uh, preview of the black. Black exploitation film. Did I say that right? I yeah, black exploitation. Right. Yeah, yeah, film <laughs> that we uh, watched beforehand. You would probably not get why we're all giggling like school children. Here. Yeah, <laughs> we're not. Just sick. Google Fred Williamson, <laughs> boss. Yep. Yeah. The rest <laughs> will be history. Yeah, that, that's 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 very catchy song. Very catchy, <laughs> dangerously catchy. Just catch yourself. It'll get you in trouble. Hanging out, cooking some eggs or something. They call them boss. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say? I just imagine. <laughs> I just imagine V from V for Vendetta cooking the egg and flipping her. <laughs> they call me boss. <laughs> they call me boss. <laughs> With the same bobbing wig. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, DreamWorks actually. Uh, oh my com- god! No. Commissioned, yeah, for their most recent uh, film. The theme is they call them boss. Boss baby. Oh, whatever. Boom. Boom. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, the film we are talking about is The Discovery, and yeah. we'll hit on that here in uh, just a little bit. Yeah. Tucson, you had something you wanted, to, you wanted to add in, though, right? Yes, I did have something I wanted to add in. Okay. Um, I 
just wanted to sort of like say for the benefit of the listener, today we are recording this episode on May the 4th, you know, mm-hmm. the Star Wars celebration. Mm-hmm. It also happens to be the same day uh, that the House of Representatives have decided to repeal Obamacare in lieu of the American Health Care Act. And so I thought that today, serendipitously, it's like it's pretty like it, it, it's pretty awesome that we're actually like talking about a film that also happens to feature weird science and mass suicide brought on hysteria. Uh-huh. So, yeah. You're pacing at the end there, kind of, unfortunately. I'm sorry. No, I just, like, you know, if you, if you want some lessons, let me know. Yeah, thanks. I could do some lessons. <laughs> anyway, continue, Alex. What is the they discovery? Him, they call him balls. <laughs> I'm telling you, Nicholas. you'll never not sing that ever again. Uh, unfortunately. That's really it's, dangerous. It's, uh, yeah. Well, you've, you've really you overpaid know what, us. You know what? Well, it doesn't really matter anymore I think, ooh, in this ooh, country. I don't, so. I, ooh, I don't really think you, should, you shouldn't really do that. I mean, <laughs> the, mm, I'm, I'm, Alex, I'm, 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 mm, I'm half. Mm, I'm kind of half. You know, we're going to see uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 tonight. Yeah. And I know James Gunn is a fan of, you know, tunes from the 70s. So, I don't know. I'm... I'm crossing my fingers and maybe the theme song. It's from... on. It's on the volume yeah. two playlist. I didn't look at the soundtrack listing, so you're too sorry because he was. <laughs> if that was actually on the podcast, I would just get up and walk on the out movie. Of... Uh, yeah, I would oh. just walk out of the. It's theater. already on the podcast. No, on, on whatever. Anyway, let's talk about the discovery. Well, now first, <laughs> first we're gonna do a week in review. Yeah. Okay, that's right, and talk right. about some uh, some films, TV shows, whatever yeah. uh, we wanted to hit on here. So, Nick, you seem pretty excited. So, why don't you go ahead and go I first? Damn. So, okay. I watched some movies starring Fred Williamson. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. No, I want to talk about two things, two very, very different things. The first thing I want to talk about is TV really quick. Mm-hmm. So, I consider myself a TV connoisseur. Okay, I, I would. See that? Yeah, I, I I'd that like mm-hmm. to think that I've seen a good sample of just about every television genre and niche. I'm not saying okay. I claim to see everything, but I've definitely have seen sitcoms from every era, uh, drama from every era, sci-fi. You know, just you, you know, even own anime. I do, which I, speaks I, to your dedication. I watch a few little anime, some good ones. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, you know, the one thing that I have never truly sat down and watched before I say what it is um, has been around for a long time. Uh, but because it's always uh, included at least something that I like about the medium of television, which is long form storytelling. Okay. Um, <laughs> I decided to try to watch wrestling. <laughs> oh. Now, here's how I went about it, and that's the reason why I want to talk about it. Do they even have you, DVD if, sets for wrestling? They do, but that's, like, right. silly. That's for the fans as far as, like, own your favorite match type thing. Sure, you know? yeah. But so here, as someone who never watched, other than when my brother used to watch it, and I just watched it because it was in the same room, mm-hmm. so I know all about the Goldbergs of the world and The Undertaker, who was apparently relevant for, uh, earlier this year again, mm-hmm. somewhat. So anyway, um, but as someone who is, does not watch any WWE property, Raw, Next, you name it, SmackDown, mm-hmm. um, I consulted a few of my buddies who do watch wrestling, and I said, what's the best way to watch wrestling as someone who doesn't watch wrestling? Because I'm at least theoretically interested in it. 
And they recommended me something, and I was skeptical at first, and now I'm like, after watching two episodes of it, I'm like, no, actually, that is like the perfect thing to do if you have any interest whatsoever. So I recently sat down to watch uh, the program Lucha Underground, which is, uh, you can watch entire seasons on Netflix, and here's here's what I'll say, because I'm not going to like talk a lot about it, but as a newcomer to the genre, it is in no way going to be something I'll ever be passionate about or anything like that. But I will say I have a newfound appreciation for the art of professional television wrestling. Um, because Lucha Underground is a program that is completely pre-recorded, nothing is live, um, and even the segments that are outside of the ring are like not just pre-recorded, but like cinematically <laughs> recorded. Um, and what I like about Lucha Underground is, besides the fact that it um, uh, mixes in the kind of lucha version of wrestling, so there are a few less rules, and there's a lot more emphasis on street. I mean, I know. WWE, certainly the rules don't always mean anything because they're mm. dramatic plot twists and such. But this is a lot more of like, okay, the episode's over, but oh no, there's a biker gang that just came in and is destroying every single person in the ring for no reason. That That's how the first episode ended. There you go. Um, but it marries my favorite part, which is this Spanish telenovela twist on the metafictional narratives of pro wrestling. That uh, Like the producing of the show? Yeah, like it, it both it certainly curves from the metafictional metatextual, I should say, part of WWE wrestling because you do follow the adventures of the owner of Lucha Underground and of course his contracts with the wrestlers and such. But it mixes in a ridiculous mythology of like the Aztec gods and all these there's is this, supernatural. Is, is this like a soap opera? When they're not fighting, yes. Yeah. This sounds like And I thought that was actually Wonderful. This sounds like I'm just all for amping that part up into <laughs> ridiculous extreme. Like I haven't gotten to this point yet, but apparently, like people die, you know, in fights. I mean, not really, obviously, but like oh, okay. the the so like the yeah. And uh, the second episode literally ended with somebody betraying somebody else in the ring, of course, but. <laughs> after the paramedics come to take him away, the guy is such a villain that he is like trying to curb stomp him while he's on the mm -hmm. um, paramedic. And I'm not saying any of this is like original or that the WWE hasn't done any of this. But, but it's theatrical. It's fun. But it's 40 minutes long each episode, so a lot of the fat is trimmed off. Because I tried to watch 30 minutes of a Raw episode, mm -hmm. and I somebody told me the best way to get into it would be to watch the Raw that premiered this year after WrestleMania, since those kind of act as a season finale, season premiere-esque, whatever. But I couldn't get through more than 30 minutes because I think there was one fight and 30 or plus minutes of... Uh, McMahon showed up and said one line every two minutes. And, like, it was just too bloated for someone who's a newcomer. Mm -hmm. So if for some weird reason you've ever wanted to try wrestling just to see what the fuss is all about, uh, Lucha Underground is completely on Netflix, and it is not the worst way to kill 40 minutes an episode. If you ever, uh, if you ever are interested in going back and seeing some of The Rock's best work with the microphone uh, from WWE. You mean our future president? As as said by Michael Moore. Uh, yeah. Well, no, I'm I'm interested actually in going back and watching some of the classic stuff from yeah. WWE and yeah, whatnot. Right. But I'm glad I have this divergent property to at least act as like a cheat sheet for like 
like expedited wrestling, so to speak, where I get mm. to get all the a it has the ground floor effect because it truly is starting from episode one because it has it's only been on the air for two years, um, and b the pre recorded nature of it um, just means that there's there's no fad whatsoever. Mm. So, nice. It was just a random thing that uh, anyway, I just thought it was a throw out there. Right on. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about really quick mm-hmm. is the films of a German underground filmmaker, and I'm going to butcher his name. So I'm going to look this up really quick, but mm-hmm. I believe his first name is Jorg, and his last name, hold on. Jorg, J-O-R-G? Yes. Whoa! I fucking rock. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought maybe you like... No, I just guessed it, I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, so his name is Jorg Butgerit. Great. Jorg Butgerit? Butgerit? Sure. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so the films, and I say the film because I've watched two of his films now. Uh, I've watched his probably his most famous movie, which is called Necromantic, which for anybody who's never seen it, uh, is about uh, a happy couple, and the man works for a crime scene cleanup company, and. By day, that's what he does for a living. By night, he steals body parts from the bodies that he collects, and he brings them home to his wife's collection because she's very turned on by body parts of dead human beings. Mm-hmm. So he, when he walks in, you know, he's got a whole room full of toys, toys and whatnot, and made from boys. So you know, every marriage, or I think they're just dating, but every relationship gets stale once in a while, so he decides to really come through for his wife, so he brings an entire corpse home for them both to play with, in which ensues an actual very dramatic, and you're taking it at face value, uh, scene of a menage a trois with a wife, uh, or a girlfriend, a boyfriend, and this new corpse. In which Is it really a menage a trois if the corpse is dead and, and able to consent? I mean, does any... Menage a trois have three living people. I mean, at, this, at a certain point, somebody's just being ignored. Oh, man, that is... Mm, I mean, I might need to walk out of the room. I'm that's that's really harsh. That was a joke. I know, but mm, damn. Oh, I know. Anyway. He's the boat. <laughs> Clearly, if you're that close-minded, you should not watch Necromantic. I'm kidding. But... Uh, Necromantic is not for the faint of heart. Um, It is one of the most gory films I have ever seen. The practical effects are really good because they flirt with the line of being certainly cheap. I mean, it's a micro-budget movie, but yet when you have practical effects, it just gives it an air of disgustingness. It doesn't matter how unrealistic it looks. It looks gross no matter what. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they did use real animal body parts to stand in for certain body parts on their own. So it has that air of like, oh, there's a scene where somebody's finger plays with somebody's eye. And yeah, there, there's a lot in there. So um, I got to say, I kind of, I really enjoyed this movie. I, I did not tell. think I was going to. I was just watching it in the same way, you know, you got to watch Solo or something. Uh, but I really enjoy that <laughs> Casually. movie. Casually. Um, but I actually think there's, it is the cinematic equivalent of punk rock. It is made for a couple for a multitude of reasons. The forefront being to thumb their nose at a very bourgeois mm. um, 
subsection of people who would be mad at its very existence and who would never actually set foot in the theater to watch it. Because if you do ever watch it, it's pretty interesting how punk rock it is for being that angry and yet non-judgmental. So if this were to hypothetically play as a double feature alongside a film, like, say Rocky horror picture do you think that this would serve as a means of like separating the kids from the adults when it comes to like the punk aesthetic I mean I don't uh, midnight cinema? there is not a lot of crossover between the people who I think are diehard Rocky horror fan like what I mean by that is like this is only for people who do not mind being pushed I mean to watch something, you know what I mean? Like I, I guess, like you, you're you're pushed the first time you see Rocky Horror Picture, but then you sort of like get into you? the. Well, I guess sometimes it's like a movie you're, where you're Meatloaf not... sings Hot Patootie. I don't know that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes, it it features themes of like um, tra- transgender and whatnot, but yeah. even that movie technically doesn't even understand exactly what it's presenting. Mm. But it's luckily become a good. Uh, storefront for a lot of that kind of outsider. Yeah. But I, I would think that most of the people in the audience who showed up for a Rocky Horror movie, if you showed them Necromantic instead, they would be pissed off. They would not be like, yes, we're just like them because we all have weird needs. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I, I was I was a fan of Necromantic. The other movie I really quickly buy the same uh, director that I liked a lot more because it goes beyond shock value is called in English The Death King and it's a very quick movie it's like 60 or 70 minutes of seven different vignettes of people who decide to commit suicide mm-hmm. and each story and character has something completely different like even the way the story is presented is different from each story to story like the first story is a very straightforward we follow a lonely guy go to his apartment give up on life and kill himself then like there's another story that's actually a movie that somebody else is watching there's another story that is just a man sitting on a bench and telling a story there's another you know and so not only does he mix things up as to probing the human condition as to why people make this choice Mm -hmm. um but he's also viewing at it from different angles my favorite passage is actually a wordless uh passage in which and i didn't and it's one of those where you don't i didn't quite figure it out and once i did I like you know the dramatic heft of it completely washed yeah. over me because it's just we we cut from like the fifth story to a um to a structure of architecture and we're just getting different angles of it and then it dawned on me about a minute or two into the montage because we're also seeing subtitles of names and ages and occupations and it dawned on me in, until a minute or two into it that we're looking at a bridge a bridge where people have uh, presumably jumped off of, oh. and that's all that passage is, you know. Wow, and um, and so on and so forth, and so here he's using his, shall we say, um, provo- provo- provocatory. Yes, yeah. um, for uh, I think legitimately good use, and kind of reminded me of the movie that we're going to talk about today. Okay, um, because it just presents it as a fact of life, and it doesn't necessarily endorse it or glorify it, mm. but it at least gives voice to the people who in characters who were probably so desperately craving it. And uh, ultimately it's disturbing, but it's um, not quite shocking in the way 
that can make it like not palatable for people to watch. It was something I would recommend to anybody because I think it's one of the best pieces of independent underground filmmaking I've ever seen. So yeah, uh, that's the Death King by George. Butkerit, but Butkerit, who knows? Butkerit, sure, sure, Butkerit. Yeah, I'm gonna say Butkerit because he seems to have a thing for human bodies. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there you go. So, um, my weekend review, I'm just gonna talk about two shows that I watched. Um, the first one is, it's an older show that premiered sometime around uh, 2003. It was like translated and it was allowed to like, air on. Uh, G4 TV is like back in the day. It's called Naoki Yurasawa's uh, Monster, or rather, it's just called Monster, right? And I've heard about this show before, and I'm watching it for research for some other thing that I'm writing about. But it is holy shit, one of the greatest anime shows I have ever seen in my entire life. Um, I have watched 30 episodes just nonstop in their their half hour episodes. I've just been marathoning them after after work, like on into the night this show is fucking incredible um and i'm gonna talk a little bit about it um it's basically about it takes place um in real world after the the fall of the berlin wall and it follows this guy named dr tenma who is basically a a he's, he's like a prodigy like neurosurgeon right he he has a residency at this this hospital in germany he's an up-and-comer he's about to like be pretty much anointed like head of staff like after the outgoing uh director and stuff right and he's pretty much engaged to um the director's like daughter and basically he's 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 supposed to be coming up he's supposed to be like very rich he's going to be wealthy he's going to be able to provide for his wife and stuff right but he has this unerring sense of of good about him and he can't really play the game of being a surgeon right um He's asked by the director one night um, to basically operate on the mayor of the local town because the mayor is supposed to be giving money to that hospital and stuff, right? And he feels kind of dejected about this because prior to this, like in the episode, he actually like took an, another like direction from his director to operate on somebody at the, the cost of another man's life who came in there earlier beforehand. He was just playing the politics and stuff, right? But before this, a kid is wheeled in alongside that of the mayor. And he chooses to operate on the kid in order to save his own conscience, and he pretty much just just jettisons his career by doing that. Um, but he tries to like, reconcile that with the fact that he saved this kid, right? He's like, I did good. I saved this kid. The kid came into the actual hospital with a bullet wound in his brain and stuff, right? And was able to like take the bullet out and be able to like save him from just being like brain dead. It turns out that this kid – is a fucking sociopath who murdered his 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 his, his adopted family, and pretty much like when he was it's when, like he's a monster. That's Johann Liebert is the titular. That's the name of the kid. He's the titular monster of this of of, of the show and stuff, right? And Tenma is just like sitting at his bedside talking about how much he hates the director and hates the people who basically like sacrifice his career because he's trying to save this kid's life. And this kid basically who's half catatonic at the same time is able to concoct an intricate plot of how to kill not only the director, but also everybody who was complicit in that same thing. And then he just is, is, is he just fades off into the night. Nobody knows where the fuck this kid went. And Tema gets framed almost implicated in that murder, but they can't like have any sort of like proof that actually points it directly to him. 10 years later, after the fact, 
he still is a doctor at that hospital and he's been able to like climb up in some way that he's able to assert some sort of like um, authority in it, right? He's, he's still trying to do good. He ends up crossing paths with Johan again, who is right now like trying to connect with his long lost sister who came in on the same night as, as he was being operated on. And Johan basically says to Dr. Tenma, thank you so much, Dr. Tenma. That night, you pretty much created the person that I am. And so Dr. Tenma feels like this, this, this compulsion to sort of like right his own wrongs. Hold on. No. Can you, okay. Can you, yeah. Can you back up for just a second? Yeah. What's up? So was he a sociopath prior to coming in? That is the question. Oh, that is the question. Okay. And I don't want to like – Because the way, you, the way I, you presented it – to at least what I what I was hearing is that he was a sociopath prior, so that's why I was a little confused. Okay, there, but, so, so but, we, but we don't know, right? I will. Do you want me to just tell you? <clears throat> no, I mean not really. Okay, not that I'm going to watch it, but you don't need to. I might watch spoil. it. Yeah, it, but 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 so it's an unknown if he was prior. It's an unknown at that point. Okay, and basically he feels like he's he's just. Filled with guilt because, like, oh my god, there's I tr- the possibility. There's the possibility that he actually gave birth to this monster by trying to do something good. Um, now, does the bulk of the narrative happen in the ten years later timeline? No, it 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 jumps forward uh, and then it's like th- there's a lot of moving parts. It, it's so densely plotted. It's so well paced. Even the most tertiary of characters have a dimensionality and a realness about them. I I I haven't met a a character that I outright hate other than Johan, and that's simply because of how how charismatic and how complex he is as a villain, that he even has, like, fucking neo-Nazis at his beck and call that he doesn't even fucking care about. Green laces or red laces? Uh, both. Oh. Yeah, it's, um, it is honestly one of the... It's it's one of the greatest animes I've ever seen. I can't wait to finish it. Um, it is not available on DVD say, or Blu-ray anywhere. Well, you can get it on on DVD, but you'd have to like get it on a Region Two yeah, DVD player. You can because you have a Region Free player exactly. Um, because the series, how are you watching it? Uh, I am watching it through online means. Okay, um, so it's not on Netflix or anything. No, it's okay. not on. It's not online on Netflix. It used to be on Amazon Prime too, um, and it pisses me off because Viz Media actually owns the licensing rights to it. They released one collection of the initial first twelve episodes, and they thought it didn't sell well enough, so they decided to just bury it. And so that series is like one of the best I've ever seen, and it is wasted on its distributors. It's an absolute crime. Um, and the second show that I wanted to talk about is the newest season of – the newest and last season. At any point, really quick, yeah. does, the, does the character ever go, I'm a motherfucking monster. No, that predates this by a lot. I'm yeah. just wondering. I know. You know yeah. You never time travel. So the next show I want to talk about is the latest and last season of Samurai Jack by Genie oh, Tarakovsky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is... Is it the last? Like, have they it's the final. It? It's the okay. final, final season. I, I said years before when it got canceled that if they just gave them one last season, they could have tied it up. And this has gone above and beyond my wildest expectations. It is... It does things that the previous show could not do, and it feels cumulative. It doesn't feel... It, it doesn't feel strapped on. It feels like this is the way it was meant to end. And it's better for – it's even better for the span of time that's elapsed between the end of the first ser- series and this one because you have Jack who's like a character that apparently is immortal now 
accidentally through like his time travel and that actually drives him insane a little bit for having been alone for all this time and not being able to like defeat like the ultimate evil he's been trying to do. Philomar's great in it. Um, Mako's understudy is great in it because Mako died in between the space of the oh, yeah. end of the first season this one. Um, the animation is beautiful. It's I, I've, I've that was bu- always the selling point for me. It's even better in this. It, it and they they were just like doing it with like traditional two dimensional like graphics. Like this has this takes advantage of all of the new technology that actually like, came out in that time. So even if you don't give a fuck about about cartoons, even if you don't like even if you've never seen Samurai Jack before, I would recommend this as an entry point. It's great, I and think- it's even greater for people who have already seen it. I've been hearing a lot of good things about it. Yeah, so those are two series I would recommend. Monster and Samurai Jack. Right on. Yeah. Believe it or not, the only thing I wanted to mention is actually a television series uh, that I have uh, started watching. Uh, And it is called The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. Really? Oh, Mm -hmm. wow. watching that? Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. It's like the first time because I haven't gotten around to watching it. Yeah. So usually it's like the first time you've gotten to something before I could get to it. You said a bitch. It's, it, this will probably be a one-time thing. So <laughs> um, so my wife uh, has read the book for uh-huh. this, so she was interested in it. Yeah. Uh, so we decided to go ahead and start watching this. This is the first time I am watching a Hulu, Hulu uh, series. So How's that? It's been fine. It's yeah. pretty... Hulu's got some good programming. Yeah. Um, and it's you know it's 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 been a first, but it's not. It, I I kind of like the fact that it's it starts off as a clump usually because I think they release the first three episodes of series. Yeah, so, I, mean, I, I guess the proponent of doing weekly. Week, yeah. They always do weekly, but of always releasing at least two, two or to three. start with. Yeah. Yep. So I actually really like that because I'm not the biggest fan of the Netflix model because I like the <laughs> idea of. Anticipating things, I think yeah. it it creates more more interest and and more uh, thought about shows than just watching every show, every episode. It leaves space to be able to talk about it as an ongoing project instead of just in one. Oh, have you finished the show yet? Right. Yeah. And it, it like I was mentioning, it gives a chance to actually think about what you're watching instead of just mindlessly. Not that there's anything really wrong with that, because it's it's also cool to watch everything of something you're excited about. At it the gives same you time. space to think. Yeah. So, um, I really had no thoughts one way or the other about this beforehand. Uh, we've only watched the first two episodes so far, but I am uh, very much intrigued uh, for this television program. Uh, it's a very interesting take. It. it, it the thing is, is it doesn't feel completely original, authentic. Like it's like um, Children of Men beats V for Vendetta in, in a way. But the novel has been around, yeah, so for far said, longer. Like, it's people have been cribbing from, I would say the would, the power structure and dystopian, shall we say? Which is which, yeah. is, which is true. But you know, for me, as someone who has no involvement with the novel at all, uh, this is. Definitely a a a, yeah. a interesting view into into this interesting world. Uh, now this show definitely is is going for for shock value at certain moments. Um, I've heard some things about it. Hmm? I've heard about a scene with a character and what happens in that. Well, that's pretty vague. <laughs> so <laughs> um, let's just say that somebody commits um, 
gender betrayal, and they are uh, corrected for that. Oh yeah, no, physically. That's, that's yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the thing about the show is that it it definitely goes for a little bit of shocking moments of it, but it feels like part of the world that you're in. So it never feels like a show that's just doing that to catch your attention. It's, it's doing that, but at the same time, it feels like it has a purpose. This happens great. every day in that world. Right. <clears throat> and the fact that all these women have been chosen solely because they can still have children mm. is, is a uh, very interesting uh, approach. And it's, it is a absolutely horrifying uh, program to watch for the simple fact that it feels pretty real. So it feels yeah. pretty Every day we doable. get closer. Yeah. I mean, just the idea of uh, somebody deciding just to take over everything and no one has any choices. That's That mm-hmm. sounds like the perfect show to watch late at night alongside your wife. Yeah. No. <laughs> Uh, I will say two things about it, though. Uh, there were two scenes. Uh, well, not two scenes. There was one scene and that I'll mention in a minute that was in the second episode. The first uh, thing I will mention, though, about it is Anne Dowd plays a character on the show. And uh, she's not that she's playing the same GR character from uh, the, leftovers. the Leftovers or anything like that. But she's definitely got the same kind of thing going on in terms of her leading the group of women that she's been put in charge of she's definitely it's very interesting that she's a female who's pretty much shaming all of these women into submission um and she's just puts on another fantastic performance and then the thing i was going to mention was the scene uh in the second episode which really uh i thought was fantastic and that involved uh the lead character played by Elizabeth Moss and other women who have been uh, who have become handmaids uh, being brought out to this large gathering. And basically they're told that a man who uh, there was a man who raped one of the handmaids and that they're allowed to uh, kill him with their bare hands. And they they do so because they've had. All this bizarre repressed anger because they've pretty much been forced into this world and now they're... You know, be- I had sympathy for those characters, but not anymore. <laughs> but see, here's the thing, though. Like, it's, 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 it's such an interesting uh, psychological moment yeah. where, like, they fully take advantage. No one's just sitting there because here's the thing. Like, they're being told that they should do this. They are so angry about everything. They're allowed to then yep. beat this guy who they do not know if he is innocent or guilty or whatever. And then all of a sudden afterwards, they're all like covered in blood and shit. And it's just like they threw the meat. Basically, they basically gave them an outlet for catharsis right. in order to in order to endear them to the system for which they are mm-hmm. they are like pretty much conscripted into. That's fucked up. Yeah. Psychologically speaking, as a viewer, mm-hmm. what that reminds me of is how I felt when I watched the second act of uh, Moonlight with Chiron beating the shit out of uh, his 
bully mm-hmm. with the chair because that was a real moment. When it happens, I will admit fully fledged in my head. Like the first instant of contact, I was relieved and felt better <laughs> about the movie and yeah. the trajectory. And of course, then the reality sinks in and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's one of those rare moments of violence that isn't completely black and white. Yeah. Well, the the um, I. I with that, I will say, uh, although that scene obviously was very violent, this is a, a much different ball game. <laughs> oh, even yeah. where it's yeah. just all, I just all in catharsis. Yep. Of it. No. Oh, yeah. For yeah. sure, it's very, very similar in that respect. The uh, so one of the females, though, and this is in the second episode, and I won't spoil anymore. But this is something that just is like, oh shit. So the whole deal is that they're having children for the head of the house, right? And a woman who is pregnant has this baby while at the same time the new mother is also acting as if she's giving birth in the other room and it is the most bizarre one of the most bizarre wait yep can i can i ask about mm-hmm. this whole structure because the handmaidens are meant to be basically the the midwives of they're, they're they're basically the surrogate mothers, right? But it's their children, though. But yes, but like I, I, the leaders and their wives. Why are there are their wives infertile, or are yes. they just yes? Is there it's a, like the rich can take the no no, the, no not the, the rich that, that that's but, part of this world, and that's why I, yeah. I referred to it as children of men. Most women are infertile. Now. Have they explained that? Yeah. Why? Like, have they explained why they are inflirt? They are infertile. What, why are the women... they have not explained why okay. it happened? But okay. it, it, I think it that's is more of just a backdrop. I, I, yes, I, it, it is known that you have to a lot that. of women, okay, most women are infertile. Okay, because mm-hmm. like my... Annie is because of anti vaxxers. Okay, so when I hear about this whole dynamic, I think it's like yeah, it's like they say that the wives are infertile, or are they just sort of like using that as an excuse? Oh, no. to like oh, I don't think so. Okay, cool. Unless I'm really no, you're supposed something. to take it at face value. I, I, I could not see a way otherwise yeah. after watching the first two episodes. Okay. So, anyways, uh, that was quite the moment, uh, mm-hmm. especially watching, you know, just knowing how uh, some women and their rights have been treated uh, in this current climate, and you have a, a female giving birth to her child, and it is basically ripped away from her then and given to the real mother, and then the other one's just left to deal with her afterbirth. And it's just, um, it's, it's, that is a, a very horrifying moment, just thinking, this is great, you're doing a great thing, and then you don't matter anymore. You did what you needed to do. And thinking about like postpartum depression and that kind of thing, but then at the same time having your baby pretty much stolen from you and told, well, back to the pool you go. We're going to try again in a couple months with you. So it's uh, – and and the way that the – You uh, already kind of do that um, when it comes um, – obviously different mm-hmm. situations and such, but yeah. let's not pretend that the U.S. doesn't have protocols in place that – uh, let's say does that for prisoners does yeah. that for yeah. and obviously you can have opinions on how that but just the inhumane act of that is a woman's body is not her own as soon as there's a baby in it yep yeah and uh the the way that the uh the handmaids receive the uh the seed of the heads of the house is can I quite the something do they use a turkey based it's it's better than that actually 
Oh. Do you do you want me to tell you or no? Or, no? I'm gonna watch the show. Okay. okay. So and you you find out in the first episode. Okay. Yeah. So no, yeah. I've I actually have it in my queue. I'm probably gonna binge whatever's on right now. I think it's through four four yeah. episodes I, um, I, I just, this weekend. I just imagine like some terrifying like shoulder mounted Rube Gold Rude it's, Goldberg. But machine. I do wanna... it, it's 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 not terrifying. Oh, I am but not at a the s- it, at the same time they. They don't pull any punches. They show it right to you. And they it's, call him boss. It is um, boss baster. It is something. That is for sure. It is something. So, yeah. No, I. I <laughs> Can and I, I ask actually, a question? I actually think Nick. I actually think you'll quite enjoy the show too. So. Oh yeah, I've yeah. done. A, I love the cast. Uh, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Moss, Alexis Bledel, who I think is underrated. Even um, um the, the, Wiley the, and the, the other finds. What's his name? Oh, um, Joseph. Yes. No. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then there is one other person that's in it. Oh, Yvonne Stravosky, who mm-hmm. I loved in um, Chuck. Okay. And now she's in a very dramatic role. That's not Dexter because that show's stupid. Um, so I'm, I'm happy about that. And uh, she's a, actually really good as the uh, the wife of the head of the house. I was going to say, when I saw the mom. scene, I was like, yeah. clearly she's not a handmaid because she had that air of authority and whatnot. Yeah. Um, one question I have, mm-hmm. but I only want like a yes or no answer. Okay. Does the topic or... Does the concept, I should say, of abortion come up? Um, because I could totally see that in a future episode as either like a power play or a uh, it could be. Or so. I'm just um, curious. It, it it hasn't. I think the idea, at least so far from what I've seen, uh, that's being presented to everybody who lives in this world who's not a commander is what they <laughs> call the heads of the house. Right. Um, the the idea that. It's it's special that you're able to have. Well, and that's why the only thing I could conceive it coming up as is like an actual self-inflicted, you know. That oh yeah, I mean, I could close hanger type, unfortunate, you know, whatever. So that's why I'm just curious if in the first three. Well, and um, it's definitely discouraged to do anything that isn't completely on on the up and up. Okay, so um, especially at the end of episode two when. one of the characters is replaced by an, by another person, yet they are the same, supposed to be the same character, and it's like, oh shit! She just wanted her spot back, it's like number two. Yeah, she just so, wanted her spot back. Uh, I'm gonna definitely watch the rest of of the season for sure, and I would definitely encourage anyone who enjoys television to to watch it because I think it has a lot to offer. I have one last question. Sure, because you mentioned it. Have you watched any of the leftovers yet? No. Okay. Just I curious. have not, not watched any episodes yet, so I need to. It is back, baby. Yeah. I mean, I thought the premiere was good and decent, but mm. the two episodes after that are pure leftovers. It's gold. So. Okay, and this is going to be a ten or an eight? Eight, or... I think. Eight. Okay. I think. Okay. So I'll have to catch it. up. Also, I oh. was wrong about no. something, and I don't okay. consider this a spoiler. Okay. So I'm going to say it out loud, okay. but. Um, there is a new theme every episode. Okay. So, and that makes me appreciate the choice that they made in that second episode when I said, oh, you're going to hate this theme. Because <laughs> even I was like, I don't know if I can stand this for... So, clearly, <laughs> their theme this season is like just balls to the wall. Every episode is its own thing. Huh. And um, same images, but they put a new song to it. Wow. Every, and okay. each time it's something that's either a hilarious convoluted Easter egg or hmm. just something that's like a thesis for the episode. So I'm a, okay. I'm a big fan of the ridiculous, ever-changing nature. I will be getting caught up before the finale, that's for sure. Right. So, yep. 
So today we are talking about a, a film that's on Netflix now called The Discovery, which uh, I don't know if it premiered, but it was at Sundance. Yeah, it was in the premiere category. Okay. In uh, this film is directed by Charlie McDowell, who uh, directed a film called The One I Love a couple of years ago. Uh, and that was a film also with Elizabeth Moss and uh, Mark Duplass. So, oh, yeah. and yep. uh, Nick, I think you've seen that one, right? I've seen it. Uh, Tucson's seen it. I can't remember. Did I show it to you or did I recommend no, it? No, I I, oh, okay. I basically heard about it through the grapevine. I've been meaning to watch it since it got okay. on Netflix. Yep. So, uh, but did you enjoy that film? Or, or I love that film. You love it? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, Good. the one I love. We, that's what we're talking yeah, about. What yeah, what are you talking about? I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about The Discovery. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about the one I love. I like that. You showed that to me. Yes, it was good. Okay, I was okay. going to say, I thought I watched the one. Now we're all on the same page. There we go. All right. Yeah, but that is a film I love. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, that was too loud. <laughs> that was great. So uh, the film we're actually talking about today, though, is The Discovery. Uh, it is a dramatic mystery slash romantic film uh, i guess it's a little bit of a yeah okay so two years after the afterlife is scientifically proven a man attempts to help a young woman break away from her dark past again the film stars jason siegel rooney mara robert redford and also jesse plemons who uh, was playing dusty from twister so that was great Wow, I mean, he looked just like him. Yeah, it was it was the hair and the scruffy, and then the, the jumpsuit that really, uh, yep. So scruffy, just some about the it. Janitor. So who would like to go first? I I could go first, or Nick no, wants you can to go, go first. first. Okay. So I was very intrigued by the premise of this film. I thought, even if it's not a great movie, it sounded very interesting. And the last time, I remember being very intrigued by a premise of a film. Uh, and usually it's science fiction films that get really interesting premises going in my brain. The last time I was really intrigued by a film was when we watched Another Earth last year. And I thought that was absolutely fantastic. So that's why I, I kind of felt like I would like this film even more than most people did. And I will say that the premise alone gave this gave me enough to at least be interested in what I was watching throughout, which probably gave me uh, gave led me to give it a better grade than I should have because overall, as a film, I feel like this is a little bit of a mess uh, from start to finish. I felt like this was try like. And it's it's not good to say because the film I'm going to reference isn't necessarily a great film either, but it's like the low level version of Arrival. It's it's trying to be witty and and set up this cool ending, but at the, when you get there, you're like oh, that's not as that's not as I don't I just it felt like it fell apart for me a little bit as the film wore on, and I just couldn't couldn't stay as interested as I wanted to be. That being said, though, I thought overall, uh, other than Jason Siegel, who I actually didn't care for in this, really, um, I thought the other people were fine. I actually... I He's don't... completely miscasted in this film, I think. It's not even about being miscast. I just didn't think he was very good in that role. Um, he was bad in it, and he shouldn't have been in it. Yeah. 
Uh, Alex is giving his opinion right now. Yeah, I'm thanks. Sorry. Thanks for that. Uh, you, you know what? I'm sorry. It's not like I've ever been interrupted during. I mean, parts, so. you once bring or that twice. Up a lot, so. I do, but at it the happens same time, a lot. The same time, you freak out sometimes when I interrupt you. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't see this as a snake eating his own tail thing right now. Yeah, I do. Okay, you know what? He's like, I don't. I don't care. <laughs> I'm the boss. Okay, sorry, uh, sorry man. So, continue. anyways. Um, the, the, for sure, person who I actually really liked here, who I've never loved before, uh, in most films is Rooney Mara, who I actually thought was really good in this film. I love her. Yeah. Um, I, it's not that I... I think she loves me, too. Oh. It's not that I've disliked anything she's been in, but I've never just thought her performances were as good as other people have. And I just thought she was great here, and I liked... Her character, I liked her delivery of so many quirky lines throughout. And she was the only person who, throughout from start to finish, I was interested in no matter where the narrative went. Um, But for the most part, this is a film that kept my interest going throughout because of its awesome premise that I thought was great, but totally just fumbled at the finish line and uh, didn't have enough bark for its bite and yeah. that kind of thing. So, And Robert Redford to just stop acting, because not that he was bad or anything. I thought he was perfectly casted. Oh, yeah? yeah? I thought he mailed this baby in. Really? Yeah. I mean, I... I it, he just seems like he's there. Like, I felt like when he was in... Um, Captain America? Yeah, when he was in Winter Soldier, like, he I just seems like he was just cashing a check. He and was I, in Winter Soldier? He was yeah. the bad guy who went Hill Hydra. Yeah. Don't remember that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Thank you for making I'll my boy. Well, about that movie, sure. But, yeah, well, um, I, I don't know. I just, I thought he was fine, but I just didn't think he was. So, yeah, I, I, I'm disappointed in this. Ironically, uh, the scenes of him, his character in the mansion and, um, you know, the cult, uh, whatever, those are um, actually based on uh, his life and how he got Sundance started. Okay. Tell us more. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it, it, it it uh it definitely could have been a lot better in my opinion, but yeah. I will bring more later. Go ahead, Toussaint. Definitely. Um, so I was looking forward to this movie, like I mentioned before, uh, mistakenly, but I I really wanted to go into this with an open mind because just from reading about the premise alone and seeing the trailer for it, I thought that it was going to be somewhere along the lines of, and I'm not saying that this is comparative to it in quality. I thought that what I was entering into for this film was going to be something sort of in the vein of maybe like a more high concept Lazarus effect meets altered states because it felt like it had sort of that, that 80s that's a very lofty. I know, I know that's a very lofty thing, but I kind of got that vibe from it just from hearing like the, the audacity of the premise and just seeing the visuals like in, in that trailer, because I thought that, you know, it's going for this very muted drab sort of, 80s kitsch sort of sci-fi sci-fi tilt to it that's what i thought it was going for which is kind of like in vogue right now and in some ways it kind of flirts with that but not entirely it doesn't really go into that i I haven't are you talking about like a trailer for it or something i'm talking about like yes a trailer and footage because i've never seen the trailer i've I've, yeah okay yeah so um watching this film uh it didn't turn out to be that for me at least it was very it was a very weird film. It was a very emotionally aloof film, especially for a for handling with a with with a of a premise that feels so emotionally like 
jarred. That feels feels so emotionally charged in its ways. Like it's dealing with the the revelation that there is an afterlife in some respects, and how all these people are sort of like dealing with their lives in the wake of that sort of revelation of that discovery. Which I'm sorry to interrupt you because yeah. it's really what I do really well. But yeah, um, I know I felt like that was just one of the biggest swings and misses of this film is yeah. that they just did not really comment on that after the first five minutes. I mean, it's not like it's not commented on, but it's like well, it's just ever present. It's it's, say, it's no, but, 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 dedicated to f- it, it does it, it never gets delved into really more than just on the surface. What do you what do you mean? The 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 evidence is irrefutable. What evidence? The evidence is irrefutable. Yeah. Now, when you say that, <laughs> I know it's it's the speculative kind of like like no, no, dressing saying, on the on the I'm, walls. No, I'm saying, are you saying that the movie is unaware of its, shall we say, shallow findings? I'm not saying that it's un- I think unaware. The movie I th- presents two camps of people, which are people that are taking this at face value, yeah. and people who are saying, "How does anybody actually take this as definitive proof?" I think that it's more interested in these broad thematic kind of like backdrops instead of just like actually delving into what the hell this discovery actually is. Right. Okay. This, yeah, I, I I wish that there was more kind of like even, even it, it 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 doesn't matter to like the whole of the film i just felt like it would have fleshed out some type of like okay what would con- what can convince people to kill themselves what is so convincing that it can actually do that people have killed themselves for a lot less. yeah but i mean they're killing themselves for this reason specifically because I mean, of the dawning I'm of this discovery give them a purpose Pe- people spend their lives um and nothing against religion but they spend their lives devoted to something that was in a book so i'm saying I'm just I'm saying that the, yeah. that the film is is relying a little bit too much on this this broad superlative like vague discovery, and they don't really yeah. give any sort of like reason or cause that actually like would convince you what really is the thing that proposed. That's not even my one problem. Well, with this I, film. I was going to say yeah. what I was actually getting more into why people decided to just and and that sort of got left off as you see the numbers as they continue to to rise yeah. and and that not but that is the biggest thing about the discovery is that all these people are committing suicide and other than the gentleman in the opening scene we really never see the real world involved mm-hmm. That's outside of the the bubble that we spend the entire film in, right? And it it feels like you spend the whole movie talking about all these people who are killing themselves. What does a society in a post discovery world look like? We don't really ever see that. Well, these characters would not be concerned with looking at that too closely. No, (laughs) the story is is itself not interested in looking at that too closely. It's actually not that these characters. Won't have a myopic view. Of I don't think that this film this at ever, all has an has an interest in in anything at looking at anything too closely, including well, its own a premise. About the of, characters, okay, though. cool. So, <laughs> okay, never mind. Sorry, continue. Wow. I, no, go. No, I, I, well, I was going to say yeah. I thought this movie did. Well, I don't want to. I, I want to wait before I get into my general thoughts because it kind of ties into that. Yeah. So I won't go on a tangent there. I just thought I would ask a question that apparently doesn't need to be answered. Oh, so go. I was going to say, okay. do you not think putting the film's faults, and I know that that mm-hmm. can extend itself to the characters, mm-hmm. do you think that these characters specifically, since the majority of the characters are, there's only two people that we really follow that are not within the 
followings of Robert Redford's characters. Yeah. So do you think that these people would be watching the news every day and um, going out to get their mail and saying hi to their neighbors? <laughs> no, I think they're more of like sunken into their own lives simply because. So this was this movie been... supposed to necessarily like jump out of that space and then say, meanwhile, you know, and then do a Donnie Darko Mad World montage of people offing themselves? You know, I'm I'm not gonna. Sorry, there was there was a honk outside, and I thought that my car got hit again somehow miraculously <laughs> in the driveway. Yeah, in the driveway. You know, I wouldn't put it past. Like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past uh, where we're recording at. There was a spot. Um, I'm saying it's happened before. Yeah. I, I didn't even. I'm not even going to tell that story again. That's fine. Um, I'm not going to try to confuse what I wanted the film to be for what the film is. I'm going to judge the film by the merit of what it is, and it is really about these characters in this world rather than the world itself. I would have preferred had it actually like brought that in a little bit more, but that's not the central core like criticism that I have of it. My core criticism of it is that it just feels so emotionally aloof. It doesn't really engage with the topics that it's really going at hand with. I don't think that Jason Siegel is well-casted for this role. I think that Robert Redford, if, if, if not even through his performance, he is actually archetypally like put into the right role of this because he seems mm. like it's that I, I feel like he him, him himself and the whole premise alone is sort of a callback to sort of that 80 sci-fi weird science vibe and I feel like he's sort of like a dinosaur or at least a legacy from that sort of era if not from the 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 weird science era but just from like as a as a legacy casting in that way so I feel like he he brings to that sort of the the wizened perspective of that role. Maybe it's kind of an asshole thing to say because, I mean, you don't want to ask silly questions in a, in a sci-fi film that's right. going like this is, but how are they getting the exact things on that television screen real time? I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. What are you talking about? Like, so like when someone is having the oh, like memory the slash dream on the machine and they're watching real time as it's going on on this <laughs> television, what the person is seeing I'm watching that going, I'm on board with all the strings hanging out of the microwave and that it's, they're able to do that, but why is everyone else able to get pop some popcorn and just watch this as it's going on? I just couldn't I couldn't do it. Some type of visualizer, <laughs> some type of ma- I mean, I magic guess. in the black box. I don't know. Uh, I, I think that... Adam Driver was there somehow, and he came up with the equation to, to make it work, so it's all good. I don't like the idea of... It reminded me most of an episode of Fringe in which... Uh, actually, not even an episode. It was one of the reoccurring um, arcs in which, whenever they needed to know what a dead person last saw, they could. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. They did that a lot in the first science season. fiction. They would take oh, the retinas God. and yeah. they would find a way to get the last images saw yeah. on the person's eye, whatever. Like, yeah. That's what he kept reminding me when they were seeing it. Literally, um, I don't like the way that Rooney Mara's character is portrayed in this, um, especially in sort of like an emotionally dependent role with uh, Jason Siegel's character. Um, I don't, I don't like how I, 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 I sort of was on board with the film up until like maybe the the midpoint of the second act when Jason Siegel is like hunting down the the memories of this one guy and sort of like is closing in on the revelation of like what the discovery in actually... the dream he had a light touch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> no. like I, I could have, and, and, and here's another thing: is like I already predicted that spoiler that the ending was going to deal with like alternate universes, and then there's that one scene where Robert Redford actually like is is talking about like hashing out like what happened, right? Mm-hmm. With the whole scene of him watching 
him taking his wife down the stairs instead of like staying right. in his in his yeah. study and her committing suicide. And his son, his son is like, "What do you mean, like alternate dimensions?" And then he's like, "No, I mean like this dimension, only with differences and variations." That's what a fucking alternate dimension is, you pendant, you asshole. So, Nick, what do you think about this movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta say, I definitely think I watched this for completely different reasons on YouTube. I guess. <laughs> I definitely, I, maybe it was just because it was right up my alley. Um, I loved speculative science fiction when it comes to, shall we say, micro, um, not micro budget, but almost like a micro lens into big abstract ideas. I like I like them too. Okay, cool. You could have said that when it was your turn. Yeah, cool. Thanks, man. I enjoyed this movie. Not to say that it doesn't have problems or anything like that, but it combined two things that I absolutely love in cinema, which is, like I said, this kind of micro-managing of big abstract sci-fi concepts uh, with uh, a focus on suicide. I, I, maybe that makes me an extremely uh, psychotic person, but I think there should be more media that deals with suicide. Even something like Netflix's 13 Reasons Why, which I um, I watched and I have a lot of problems with, I'm very glad that it exists because we haven't been talking about the way suicide is depicted in media in very much detail until 13 Reasons Why came out, so for that alone, I'm I'm happy that it exists. But I, I've always been fascinated by suicide in media because it's always one of two things. It's always somebody who gets it, so to speak, like somebody who will, de- de- uh, shall we say, depict the bleak nature of the mindset of the suicidal mind without... Um, a, glorifying suicide itself as an answer, or B, um, copying to the fact that it is some kind of cathartic release. It just depicts it as is. Like somebody, um, one of my favorite films, uh, a French film called The Fire Within, directed by Louis Mallier, uh, which is about a man who decides that he's going to kill himself at the end of this day that he you know, wakes up and whatnot, and he spends the whole day reaching out to his friends and basically subtly asking them why he should keep living, even though they don't realize that that's what he's really asking. And of course, that movie does a great job just <laughs> showing that if you go around having to ask that question, you are never going to get a satisfying answer. Uh, anyway, or there's the glib type portrayal of suicide as either a melodramatic and almost out-of-body choice that a character makes that is like, well, clearly they were not in uh, a good place in their life. And, like, yes, somebody can be mentally ill, but that doesn't... that's That is not the only thing that influences their choice. It, it can be a lot of, uh, yeah, factors and such. Yeah. So any movie that begs to marry that with this... Uh, high concept sci-fi like i was you know bound to love and i actually ended up like i was kind of going back and forth on this movie where at any given point i was either on board or not on board but by the time it ended even if my biggest problems are in the third act i was just glad that a it existed and b that i thought it did have a pretty clear head on its shoulder for a lot of things for example when you guys are bringing up the idea that the movie itself never really tackles the um, the depiction or the, shall we say, logic behind this rash of suicides. I, I mean, I'm, I, I know the logic not behind the logic, it. But uh, you're saying as far as, like, it's not brought up 
so to speak. It's it's sort it, of it would have been nice to yeah. have at least one piece of said evidence, even speculative within Whoa. this universe. It's sort of like I think we're saying this for different reasons. Okay, so what are your but, two reasons? So then, your... well, no, I I just wanted to I wanted to see uh, for me personally. To get a little more context about what the actual real world looked like, which which we talked about a little bit earlier, but this idea that there's just a, this counter, and I don't know why there's a counter on a boat. Uh, I couldn't quite figure that one out, but that's fine. Well, that was actually something I liked. Okay. Not the boat, but that counter is everywhere. The, well, no, I mean, so that's... the hospital was on the boat. Yeah. And I like that that's actually what I liked about this movie, is that its depiction of suicide prevention is the same exact... <laughs> way we go about it now when we don't even have a rash. Uh, I mean, we certainly have an epidemic and a problem, but we don't have a systemic reaction to some kind of metaphysical uh, realm or something like that, which is that it's, it's always in the background and it's something we're never quite paying attention to, even if we give it lip service. So I appreciated the glibness of how that was relegated as a background so prop. So can I ask you a yeah. question just because you, yeah. you enjoyed it definitely more than I did, I yeah. think, even though I didn't hate this movie but i certainly didn't enjoy as much as you did so i'll ask this so we obviously see the third act of of the film and we see that they are pretty interested that being robert redford jesse plemons and the rest of the hitler youth are very interested in not telling the world the other detail now of of this second discovery that's been made and I, i mean it's not like it's it's changed the sort of what they let in with now right. like if you if you like if you withheld this from the world like you're you are doing that a disservice well that's you're living true, live but these are much. human beings deciding these things and not nature or some kind of omnipresent no but but if you are if you are you wield out this very broad, there's an afterlife, but then you find out, well, it's really not what you think. Right. Well, character-wise, it made sense for me because this is being led by Robert Redford's character and something that was we all could have saw coming a mile away before it's revealed, but mm-hmm. then it gets confirmed, is that he got into this because of his wife's suicide. And No. He got what? he got into the idea of following the path further, but the, he was already doing this, wasn't he? No, she and, killed herself before it was discovered. It's when Jason Siegel had that accident with the waves, and he said that he he told his mother that right. he saw something, and okay, that was right. one of the instigating ideas. Right, that kind of but I'm saying I think the reason why he makes the discovery and his science is propelled and he focuses mm-hmm. and laser in on it is because his wife commits no, suicide. It wasn't the instigating idea, but it was it, the but... thing that propelled him. Yeah, right. yeah sure. I'm saying there's definitely okay, some you. kind of cause and effect yeah, here, right? Sure. So that's what makes him say, well, this... So, okay, so the reason why this makes sense, so, so his wife commits suicide before some kind of discovery like this came about, mm-hmm. and that's, I think, what pushes him to make the discovery itself because he gets even more And myopic. to bring it public, even though he hasn't found out all right. the details Because yet. when he makes this kind of discovery, Discovery, mm-hmm. it's still not a discovery at all. It's it, and that's what I kind of liked about the movie as well. Mm-hmm. It, the movie's called the discovery, and that's the most vague sounding thing because that's all it is. It is actually like what's and the reason why this cult is able to be started is because they're actually they didn't find an answer. All they found was 
brain waves still operating. Like, well, okay, but we can, as a corpse, take a shit after we die. That doesn't mean that we just <laughs> that we're on a higher plane of existence. Or have Why a not? Mon- the or, or, the or, evidence is irrefutable. Or have a menage okay. a trois, too, so there's that's, that. That's true as well. <laughs> so what I liked about that, though, is that I thought that made complete sense character-wise because then he's still, like, this is still good news for him because before this discovery in his mind... He had no hope that his wife was in a better place, okay? Once the reality in this world sinks in and they make the second discovery, so to speak, of what happened, then that hits too close to home, I think. And he realizes that if anybody's in a place like himself, that this is not a good thing at all because he'll himself or somebody like him will be tempted to... To kill, kill himself, himself to go back and change right. things, which is essentially what Jason Segal ends up doing, and there's no satisfaction to be found there. Now, the third act, of course, is kind of—I will admit—a mess. Like, I, I think that's when the movie itself becomes a mess. I think before then, it's pretty clear-headed. But mm-hmm. so, the the reason why I don't like this movie as like I almost loved it, so to speak, is because of the third act. Now, I'm not completely against it. Um, it was a first immediate reaction. I was like, hmm, I don't know if this works, but I've actually kind of come around on it just by thinking about it. But I do think the third act is a little bit too tied up into the puzzle box aspect of the movie instead of just letting this uh, discovery speak for itself and letting the characters react to it, which is, I thought is strongest suit. Mm-hmm. My, my favorite scenes in this movie were him and Rooney Mara, him and uh, the very, very underused Riley Keough, um, having, you know, these talks about what this means, if it means anything at all. But once the Jason Seagal goes through the looking glass, so to speak, and is able to start into the eternal sunshine portion of this uh, romance, here's what I got to say about that. As much as that's not the most satisfying conclusion to this story, for mm-hmm. sure. I will say I've come around on the fact that <laughs> was ironic about this ending and kind of satisfying in its own way is that <laughs> people looking for an answer or a light at the end of a tunnel, so to speak, usually are going to find that whatever is on the other side are not, <laughs> not going to be satisfactory to begin with. So the more I sit with it, the more it actually doesn't derail the movie for me because... If even if accidentally, the unsavory taste of like, oh well, that's not what I expected at all, goes with the very theme of why this discovery is so paramount to needing discourse and discussion, uh, because you have a lot of people making a leap of faith, and not um, like that's going to be their re- their experience too, which is like. It almost proves why the rash of suicide was hysterical and and not in a good. So let me ask you, actually, both of you, this was was because I felt like it was obviously there and very much prevalent. But again, something like other things, I didn't feel a very well thought out need for it. But it seemed as though every major death revolved around drowning in this film, uh, in one way or the other. So, was that... Are you talking about the wife? Well, the wife, 
Did she uh, drown herself or did she cut her wrists? They say she never goes into the bathtub. Yeah. So you don't. Um, I assume that you're right, though, as far as there is a recurring motif. Right. There's no. that. Because there's that. There's right. uh, Jason Segel when he's a child, almost yeah. drowns. Yep. Uh, yeah. Ramirez's son drowns. Uh, there it's, was there was some. There I'll was, say this. It it, it it didn't seem like there was, for me at least, a payoff to the recurring motif of drowning. I'll say this. Yeah. I don't mind that at all. As far as like how it was presented, I actually think, as corny as this sounds, it was extremely purposeful in the sense that um, part of the dissection of a suicidal mind is thinking you're alone, uh, ignoring the true connections you have with human beings, and placing value in things that are actually unknowable. So here we have something that's pretty tangibly connects all of these major characters that nobody's commenting on. And that alone, I think, kind of emphasizes the idea. Uh, you know, Jason Segal's first line on the boat is, oh, I, I thought I was alone. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think that's more of just a okay. funny little quirk of like how we're blind to what we can actually latch on to and yet we'll place ultimate value on something we can never truly define. I think that knowing what the ending of the discovery is, what the the second half of the discovery is kind of brings at least for me in, in mind of, I, I didn't even notice that thing, but now thinking back of it, knowing what the discovery is, like maybe that's sort of the film itself signaling. Like when I, uh, when I think of drowning, when I think of these characters like drowning and killing themselves, like by water, I think of that sort of analogous to, and I'm not trying to like go into like film studies one-on-one with this analogy, but I find it, I find death by drowning is sort of analogous to birth in sort of a ways to a rebirth for the fact that like children, like babies are born in the womb with like this 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 juice this 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 water that they they have in the womb and they're kind of ejected alongside of it. So it's like it's kind of ironic to die by water and to be reborn out of water in that way. So yeah, I mean these characters meet on a boat, you know. Oh, yeah, I, I, yeah. So I'm just saying, I, I, no, it's I mean, so much so that I don't think it has to have some kind of tie into the mm-hmm. narrative so much. Like it's I, that's why the, the that aspect of it I, I appreciated for exactly what it was and not for overreaching and trying to say because I. I thought the movie, and I was glad that it didn't, but I thought the movie was going to go up its own ass, like, even more so than it already did. Mm, yeah. But, Sorry. Yeah. I, um, please. When <laughs> they were going to, when he first entered the loop and such, and after, you know, whatever, he goes under. He was going to yell through the wall and hit books so that they... <laughs> no, but Sorry. I thought they were somehow going to... <laughs> the discovery is love! <laughs> well, speaking of Interstellar, I thought that um, this guy. <laughs> that was that funny. But... The discovery is love. I thought that was great. That's what making people I, kill each other. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Sorry. So, um, but uh, well, anyway, but I thought this movie was going to present a ridiculous labyrinthian plot in which, or not plot, but manifestation in which he was going to somehow be Oliver. The, I could see that. You know, like, and yeah. it was going to be some... That would have been weird, though, because he, It would have like, been very yeah. weird. So, like, I'm glad that they weren't... They didn't go the full... Would have been a little... Nine yards of... A little uh, Luke Skywalker, Oedipus. Princess Leia action yeah. going on there. <clears throat> so, I, I'm glad it didn't do that. And it was more just thematic connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I gotta say, as much as that third act, in my opinion, it even if it 
discards the ongoing conversation that I thought its characters were having about um, the the moral predicament they were in and the societal um, I don't know epidemic problem or whatever. Even if the third act kind of discards that for favor of a more emotionally driven puzzle box, I will say the um, the final shot. I don't usually get too wrapped up in these ambiguous indie sci-fi movies that like to end with a character looking at a crazy revelation, but I was affected by the final shot because it seems that, at least my reading of it, um, what was interesting is that this character has been searching for some kind of meaning, for sure, and what I like is that his meaning, or whatever you want to call it, his discovery or his reason for living, ends up being trying to reconnect somebody else's uh, reason for living, and that's like that is such a valuable lesson in life, and not even in a sci-fi fugue world that I think is imperative. And that's why I'm ultimately because I always, when it comes to anything that depicts suicide, and I'm not talking like a movie that just has a scene of suicide, but any movie that centers around the topic, I always fall into yes or no kind of like a reigning. Like, does mm. this? get it in in a morally imperative way or no. And I ultimately think that this is a good piece of uh, exploring the despondent nature of of what it would be like if we decided that suicide was no longer a taboo, you know, and that it was uh, totally acceptable. And, And that alone is a very very dangerous message to send and the movie never actually does send that message it clearly states that this unfortunately is people are making these choices but they are in no way being rewarded for this I think that I appreciate your reading of of the ending because I feel like that kind of like brings home sort of some of my criticisms of it I just felt that it was sort of it was sort of underwhelming. It was sort of unfulfilling. I felt that honestly watching that ending, I could have marked at least two points where that that it could have like cut to black and been arguably more declarative and more consummate of a piece of a film than what it ends up with 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 him with Jason Siegel just like looking at the camera dumbstruck and then cutting. I felt like there there it, it it kind of it, it can't, kind of was after the, after the fact, you know? It was after the fact of its impact. Um, overall, I just... I don't know. Something about this movie just really irked me. Um, obviously, I apologize for my demeanor um, up to this point. It, it's, it's just... It, it, it warms under my skin in that this film feels so obsessed in living within the space of these broad, empathic appeals to profundity. And I don't feel like it ever really touches home to something that feels concrete. It doesn't really say anything. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like living in that space. And maybe that's what it was sort of like a, approaching for. But f- something about that was just confounding and just frustrating to me a lot. Yeah. So, um, no, and I can, and maybe that's, maybe that's the point of the film, that. but that's just, it just in, in, with dealing with, with, with such a, a, a sensitive topic as that in, in such a extreme sort of way and how it was framed there's just something that really i 
I, it, 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 it couldn't be I, – I wasn't on the same wavelength for this film, and I just really didn't really jive with it. So since we've been talking about the this film and how it centers around suicide for the last 15 minutes or so, mm-hmm. I'm going to go to the lighter side of this film, which is – Which is – Lighthouses. Which is – well, no. Uh, the, the line that Rooney Mara uh, says when she says, could you imagine if you felt abandoned because your father left you out of the family suicide? And I just – I, I don't know. Like I, I felt like I was so like into Rooney Mara's sarcastic, cynical character and mm-hmm. and the way that she spoke throughout. And um, I actually thought that that was a fantastic scene when she is laying on the top bunk bed, kind of going through. Well, wait a minute. Like almost like a child going through. Well, wait a minute. If do animals have an afterlife? Then do they have a place that they go? Are like, they are separated we... by species? Right. Yeah, should heaven even be separated into species like that? Yeah, First of all, we all know that all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> yeah, so everybody else say about cats. <laughs> Turtles go to hell. Cats go to hell. The uh, the, the the like Pineapple Express. The oh, uh, cat died. The the oh, idea. I'm so sorry. Don't be. That little fucker's probably in hell right now. The the one time that Jason Siegel definitely pretty much landed his line that he needed to deliver. Uh, when they are holding hands on the uh, the bunk beds, and he's like, I don't feel like this is fair because he's got to have his hand up the whole time. I don't know, just something about it. So. No, I absolutely. That was actually, I laughed very hard at that line yeah. because it was such a nice glimmer of uh, normal interaction. Yeah. And that's ultimately what's funny. When this movie started and they met on the boat, I was like r- almost ready to write it off because I was so not prepared for a romance to be a large factor in this movie because I thought that that was going to be a huge distraction so you know to make everything mm-hmm. go down more palatable but what I ended up liking about the romance is that once again that was another good depiction of a side effect of uh, of a mind that's centered around suicide and higher meaning is that emotional dependency well I was going to say that um how like that can be a profound connection, but even more so that when you place too much of a emphasis or a, um, I don't know, a drive to find out your higher purpose or, you know, what's in the afterlife or, or just what's the point of living, whatever you can very easily miss what is very good for you because it kind of overrides any, and it's not so much that they were like, obviously not into each other or anything like that, but they were never going to fully connect and be romantic, so to speak, because there there were loftier goals uh, to be had or achieved, so to speak. I guess my central criticism with Rooney Mayer's character is that I feel like her, um, her agency is sort of relegated to that of acting in service of Jason Siegel and his story. I don't feel like it's, it's the, it's, the, it's not the it's not the story of the story of these two people. It's the story of Jason Single and how Rooney Mara is just a character in in his story. And I, I I know I know the whole whole point of like him finding meaning and trying to like save somebody else's life. I feel like that's that's sort of a noble sentiment, but it also kind of like irks me that she just seems like this. She 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 almost seems like um what's the name for that trope no what's the name for that I'm not trope? Gonna say it. <laughs> what's the name for that trope I'm not gonna say it, the, it's definitely the, not the same thing at all not a not a manic pixie girl more of like a manic depressive pixie girl okay yeah uh th- isla with her platinum bleached hair you say that like that's such a 
crazy thing to do. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that she seems like this. I've already said it, yeah, but whatever. I, that's that's my piece. Whatever. I I mean, I'll say this much at least when it comes to Rooney Mara's character. If I thought that Rooney Mara herself had anything to teach Jason Segal, then I would agree with you. But in no way does she impact his life to like make him a better person. He more just projects his own. What? Wait. In no way does she impact his life to make him a better person, even though his entire life and death cycle is centered around like this one moment to That's try to like. That's a choice he cor- makes. See, manic pixie dream girl is someone who comes in and like literally, besides the fact that they're usually fucking crazy, like Rooney Mara is slightly more down to earth than a manic pixie dream girl. I'm just saying, like those are modeled after the. Uh, Kirsten Dunst of the world in Elizabethtown who like I'm not saying that she's a one to one in that in that same vein but she's sort of like but she doesn't swoop in and say here's why life is worth living buddy you gotta perk up like if anything she was gonna drag him down with her you mean that whole ending where he's speaking to a projection of her in in his own mind and basically she's willing him to like let go and move on that doesn't count. I mean, all I'm saying is that that is so beside. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to be so nitpicky with this, but I'm trying to like nail in what yeah. is what is it about Rooney Mara's character that just absolutely just tweaks me out. What 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 is it about her? It's like I I don't I don't know what the fuck she is. I don't know what she is in this film and why why it it, it just irritates me. It just irritates me that. I feel like this film, this film, even towards the end, I think we can at least agree that the third act is poorly written after the fact of them like finding out what the discovery is, gathering all the people in, and Robert Redford is like talking to them and trying to make these empathic like speeches about family and how we all just stick together. And you're wondering in the back of your mind as a viewer, wait, how the fuck is he going to explain to them without how? actually telling them the truth of what the discovery is. Oh, wait, who's that in the corner there? Is that a woman with a gun who's about to shoot into the crowd and then distract everybody from what he was actually about to say? Speaking of being nitpicky... It's some deus ex machina bullshit. Speaking of being nitpicky... I mean, I wouldn't say it came out of nowhere. They did technically set that up. Yeah. I mean... So about being nitpicky... It's another woman that Robert Redford ignored for the... (laughs) In favor of his, oh, I just say like I did. I'm not saying it's not certainly contrived. Also, I, the other thing about yeah. that, and I actually I really enjoyed that aspect of it of, of Robert Redford saying she'll come back, it'll be fine. It's like you just banished her, though. What? Uh, what I was going to say about being nitpicky, though, is um, so when they run the trial on the, the the new machine for the discovery, and it doesn't work, and no one things to look into it to see if right. one of the cords was ripped out. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is bullshit. Yeah. I don't know. Which is only there, so that way only Jason I mean, can I, see it. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I, I just... When you have a film that is trying for to be this scientific, I mm. feel like it's just ripe to... There's, There's just, a difference between trying to be scientific and trying to be realistic. There's so many things yeah. that are just so... How convenient. Yeah. How convenient. But it's it's not a film that's as smart as something like like Primer is or something it's, like that. It doesn't feel that do, smart. You think? You no, think, no, no, no. Oh, no. Oh, okay, okay. I was but, gonna say. But I don't want it to be as 
like the pleasures I get from this movie are separate from the pleasures I get from Primer. I love Primer because I'm trying to keep up with it because I can tell that it's smarter than me and you know whatnot. Mm-hmm. The pleasures of this movie is that it doesn't, and maybe this is the cop out, sure, fine, uh, but it doesn't try to work in whatever plot hole you might see because it's more into the idea of expressing a discourse uh, about a very sensitive subject that it can only do in this very nonchalant way if it supports it with science. And yeah, maybe the science is stupid. And vague and irrefutable, as the character will tell you. Yeah, keep saying that. I mean, that's what they said. That's all I know about it. It's irrefutable. But why would knowing the science behind it enhance Because we keep on talking about how it's... Alex, you keep on talking about how how, the, how this thing is like trying to be so scientific. It's trying to like frame this entire thing, and yet I don't. This film is so fucking frustrating to talk about, and it's so fucking. I I don't. When when I say it's trying really hard to be scientific, it has all of the the markings of you as a viewer, and not someone who has uh, taken many classes on film criticism or or read books on film criticism or watched as many films as I have, or even more so have you guys have. But if you're just a viewer who just popped on this on Netflix, you would think that from a viewer's perspective, that the people who wrote this film thinks these characters are smart, right? They're supposed, you're saying that, so I'm reiterating. I gotcha. You're saying that, as an average viewer watching this movie, you would think that the creator, writer, director, whatnot, believes and are writing the, the believes that they are writing these characters in an intelligent manner. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But I'm still not thinking that you can write a smart a character who's smart as a character trait without actually having, having them being smart. Right. I mean there is a difference and sometimes there's a purposeful difference because But that's what but, but then you get pages of exposition that yeah. was completely I would think beside the point of Right. Like I didn't this. want pages of exposition. I just wanted one shred of this fucking ephemeral irrefutable evidence that kind of like brought home was like, "Oh wow, this actually is pretty Wow, how do people actually well, like maybe, sort of deal with this? I, I, All I you know is that people like take I, solace in the fact yeah. that if this ever happened in real life in this exact way, that you would not kill yourself <laughs> because it would not be enough, and that's a good thing. Uh, and I, I think Nick is is getting at, and not that you're you're not hearing what he's saying or anything like that, but just to reiterate, I think what Nick is is getting at, just that the film is trying to say that they aren't doing a very good job of, of showing what the discovery is. I'm interested in this movie, <laughs> and I'm not saying I like this as much as this other property, okay. but I'm interested in it in the same way I'm interested in something like The Leftovers. Okay. I don't give a shit about any explanation as to and how any of this works. I'm only interested in this premise acting as a catalyst to get people to talk about shit that's been bothering them for a long time and they now have to face due to something that's extraordinary (laughs) and beyond comprehension. I I get that this film is... And I say, and I don't even like this as much as something like The Leftover. Yeah, I I get that sort of parallel in that it's a film that's more dealing with the implications 
of said technology and said discovery than the actual concrete like discovery itself. Mm-hmm. But I feel like personally for me, yeah. I feel like those implications might have actually come home if they start, if they actually brought the actual viewer into sort of the mindset of yeah. these people who are allowed to have this sort of access to this information and be able to juggle the choices and the actual like like weighty proof of what this what this thing actually implies <laughs> as. I would like to be be able to occupy the same space and world as these characters to understand where they are coming right. from, but rather I feel like there is always a wall between their understanding of what's going on and my understanding of what's going on. I got you. And so that's why I feel like there's just there's this fog of war well, between me and the film. While so, you're while you're passionate about this, yes, I think we should go into your final reading. All Before right. you do, I want to say one thing in response to that that has nothing to do with like, right. in general. Just Okay. I'm totally understanding where you're coming from, and what I'll say is one thing, which is that um, his previous film, Charlie McDowell's previous film, the one I love, which I definitely prefer to this movie because I think that's a smarter film, and a, but I think it's also a much more laser-focused movie. It's more it's, compact. Right. Um, but the weakest part of that movie is in the last 10 minutes when he explains how this metaphysical... <laughs> craziness i don't want to spoil that movie i think that if you like this movie at all the discovery you should definitely seek out uh the one i love because i think it's the same kind of speculative sci-fi but at a, a much better emotional focus but in the last 10 minutes of that movie that movie almost derails itself when they stumble on a litany of explanations as to why this is happening and when I when I first watched that movie I said god I hope when he makes another movie <laughs> he doesn't over explain everything and certainly this seems underwritten but I prefer Charlie McDowell in this even if it's not a tighter movie but I prefer him not to paint too much of a specific picture because I don't think he has the tools he is not a Shane Carruth or a Alex Garland type person where um, the more into a like a a technology or a science he gets, the better he gets. He's much better at taking this almost Rod Serling microscopic lens as saying, well, if we, if we take this sci-fi concept, if we just, you know, introduce a crazy premise, how does that, how does the humans react in this situation? So I'm with you in the sense that I totally understand where you're coming from. I don't know that Charlie McDowell is the right writer to do it. All right. Tying that That's to my to my final rating, uh, if he's stuck between two modes of either underwriting or overwriting, <laughs> I think that he really needs an editor. Yep. He needs somebody to help him write his scripts because this is – I liked his previous film a lot, and I'll agree with you of the later half of that. But, like, especially if he's dealing with this sort of, like, heady material in, in a film like this going forward after yep. this, I don't know how he, where you could go from here, but if he were to do that, I think that he should probably entertain like having a co-writer or an editor, like actually. Like, well, and he co-wrote it. this with somebody too, mm. or not the last movie, but this one. So that's why I'm curious if the co-writer yeah. was more responsible for the uh, I don't know vagueness of it or something like that. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm gonna give this uh, two out of five. I, for all I've said about it, I thought it was entertaining enough. Um, it's just, it's way too broad. It's way too vague. It's confounding it's frustrating it's uh it's challenging not so much in the way of its its intellectual like premise but just just in in the creative choices that it that it chooses to make and prioritizing some information over others so yeah that's that's my take 
So I thought this was a passable film uh, for the most part. I I didn't really hate any part of this, uh, but I didn't really love enough of it to give it a really good rating. Um, I, I wanted this to be better, more up my well, better and more up my alley. Is I felt like it went to places that I that I wanted to go, but then at other points I was like, eh, I, I don't know. I just couldn't connect with the story that was being told here, and I didn't love the the avenues that the film went down, and also too some of the decisions that the uh, the filmmakers made uh, throughout the the film, and also as I mentioned, Jason Siegel's performance, which wasn't that great. Nope. But um, still, uh, this was not a huge pile of shit or anything like that it was a a film that i would probably watch again and um definitely a film that um falls apart in the third act at the same time for me so it's a two and a half out of five uh it's a an okay movie but uh a d- definitely a disappointment for me moving on to nick as you can probably tell i was definitely a fan of the movie mm-hmm. i i you know as much as i've defended it but that's only because i felt like there were not a lot of positives from anybody but myself, mm-hmm. so I probably felt overprotective. But I certainly caught to the idea that this is not a great example of script writing or something like that. But I'm I'm happy that it exists. I would personally watch. Uh, I think I said this to Susan, but I would personally watch a Charlie McDowell sci-fi anthology series over Charlie Brooker's. I would too. Um, just actually. because I love the premises he comes up with, and it yeah. means that not every episode, quote unquote, is going to be a hit. But taken as a collection of sci-fi parables, because that's really what he writes, and that's why I'm I'm pretty much okay with the way he writes. It's mm. certainly not perfect by any measure, but I see these more as parables um, to be completely honest. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm all in for this movie for what it is. And, um, as this really <laughs> reminds me of like when you're in your teens, you have Donnie Darko. And now when I'm in my twenties, I have the discovery because both of them are extremely juvenile to be honest. Um, and yep. they have the very silly outlook on a lot of, uh, serious mental issues. And yet they're also, one of the only movies that around that are actually attempting <laughs> and trying to posit uh, a viewpoint from a perspective that we don't usually get in cinema because most people don't want to hear about it. And that's why I'm ultimately thankful for this movie. I mean, I was always going to be a biased voice for this movie. I'm myself on depression medicine and in therapy. So I personally, you know, this was always going to be right up my alley. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I'm not going to give it some kind of crazy perfect rating. It's a three and a half out of five. Uh, I prefer his first movie, and I definitely think if anybody liked this, you you would like that movie a lot. Um, even if like that movie low point is what I like about though. Really quick, the one the one I love is that when that movie explains everything, it does it in like two minutes, and it's the dumbest two minutes of cinema in a long time, but everything besides those two minutes and those two minutes do not derail the emotional punch of that movie. Um, but man, and so here we are devoid of those two minutes. Um, and whether that's good or bad is definitely going to be up to everybody's own viewpoints. But ultimately I thought he tapped into something here that is not perfect, but if it's unsatisfactory to some people, 
I think that's actually a pretty happy accident because that's what these characters are finding out too. Uh, mm. So, um, yeah, I like the discovery. It was three and a half out of five for me. And it's the first time Netflix has ever commissioned a movie where I didn't think that they have no idea what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> this is actually the kind of content I want to see Netflix. It doesn't mean explicitly sci-fi, it's- but these idiosyncratic uh, voices that probably aren't pretty commercial, which is mm-hmm. why I don't know why we need eight Adam Sandler movies. I think he would do fine in the theater. Yeah, I saw you watch Sandy Wexler. Yeah, it was yeah. 2 a.m. and I started it, and then for some reason I didn't turn it off. <laughs> so you loved it, too. Oh, big, big fan over here. Mm. So, boy. I will yeah. admit, I laughed at one joke <laughs> in the entire movie, and it wasn't like a pity laugh. Like, there's a moment in, or not a moment, but there are glimpses of like I can understand what I used to like about Adam Sandler. But wow. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, if you have any thoughts out there about the discovery, and obviously most anybody, if you have Netflix, can can catch it, and it will be out there. I'm assuming for quite a long time. Uh, <laughs> always feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail dot com. Coming up on our next episode, uh, we hit one of the year's first blockbusters, one of the definitely one of the first summer blockbusters, which is a Marvel film. Yay! Is that what it's called? A Marvel <laughs> film. Yay! That'd be cool. That's I what think they that's all should be called. I mean, it'd be more interesting, I think. Yeah. Uh, it is the second film in the Guardians of the Galaxy series. Volume 2. Yeah. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I was a little... The squeakle. Yeah. I was a <laughs> little... Not? I was a little hesitant uh, on the first one, as I didn't love it the first time, but I've, I've come around big time uh, in the last two viewings I've had. And I know both of you very much enjoyed the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, film when it came out three years ago now? Yeah. Yeah. So, we, wow, more yeah, hmm? yeah. Yeah. So James Gunn is back and the rest of the crew is back. And pretty much it seems as though, other than Lee Pace's terrible villain character, pretty much everyone else is back here and uh, some new faces as well, including uh, Elizabeth Debicki, who uh, recently showed... Sh- Recently Show. showed up. That's how you say it, right? Showed Show. up? She sure. showed up, yeah. Yeah. Show. Uh, in The Night Manager, the film that the Golden Globes loved. Uh, or, sorry, the, uh, miniseries. the miniseries yeah. the Golden Globes loved. And I actually really enjoyed too. She hasn't really done much uh, ever since being uh, in the Great Gatsby film that Nick absolutely hated. Yeah. But uh, her and her six foot four or whatever she is is in this uh, this film as well. And a couple other new faces too, but uh, it'll be interesting to talk about it. I think uh, we'll all have an opinion uh, on on this first superhero film, really, uh, of the year that is in the summer season, at oh, least. Oh, boy. And, and Sam Shamara, our, our friend, will be back. She will be on our first episode in a little while, so Yay. that'll be exciting. So we're looking forward to that. Ooh. Uh, if you want to catch any of our episodes, you can always find us on That's Film Tank Show. to see show. if she listens to our episodes. <laughs> I don't think you're going to hear about it because I hate to break it to you. You can always find us on filmtankshow.com. Uh, you can also find our episodes on iTunes or Stitcher as well at Film Tank Show. And you can find us sometimes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. From Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman, as always, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank. We'll catch up with you next time. Thank you.